It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Well, the day has finally arrived. It is indeed the day uh, that Harry and Meghan launched themselves at the world with their six-part documentary series on Netflix. They kicked it off this morning at 8am and we've got, for your delectation, Mr Rupert Bell, our royal correspondent, watching it for us. Uh, he's going to be giving us kind of updates like as if it's a football match, you know, corner to Harry, you know, throw into Meghan, you know, absolute dirty foul on Prince Charles uh, before he became the king. A really, really bad, nasty uh, attack on uh, Prince William, uh, the heir to the throne. Absolutely disgraceful foul uh, outside the penalty area uh, on uh, Camilla, uh, formerly known as the Queen Consort, of course. Rupert will be talking us through precisely what he's seen. We'll show you a little bit of it. Make no mistake, right? Some of you are going, don't cover it. Just ignore them. It'll be better. No, it won't be better. These people are trying to destroy the royal family and I would rather see them destroyed before I see the royal family being done any more harm to uh, by these tuppence halfpenny bandits from California who think that everything they do makes money for them uh, and they play on mental health fears, they play uh, on vulnerability, they play the race card, they try to do everything they possibly can because it's all about them. Me, 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 me. Did you think about me at all at any point? Or is it all about other people as well? Never mind that. We'll be talking about a great many other things as well. Dan Hodges is here and we'll find out from him what he makes of all the latest shenanigans in Parliament, what he makes of the number of MPs who are threatening to defect from the Tory party to perhaps either a life outside of Parliament, a life outside of politics, or possibly the Reform Party with Richard Tice. We'll have some news on that. Uh, also, of course, we'll be talking to Ben Clapworthy, the new wave of strikes that has been announced. We're going to see now not only rail strikes, not only bus strikes, but now border force strikes as well. Not in the places where you think they might want to strike, which is down in Dover, where all the illegal migrants are coming in. No, 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 no. No, not that at all. This would be rather in all of the airports up and down the country around Christmas time. Absolutely brilliant. Marvellous. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin is going to be here as well with her take uh, on the Harry and Meghan saga. We're going to talk to Molly Kingsley uh, as well because she's, of course, from Us For Them. We'll find out what she's got to say for herself this week. Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch also talking about the new coal mine that's going to be dug up up in the north of England. Uh, All the sort of Net Zero fanatics are going crazy over that. But don't worry, the most important thing is also that we hear from you. 0344 499 1000 is the number. It is, of course, Thursday, so we're going to have Thursday Club uh, with Helen and Nicklin, and a very special guest will be coming along a bit later on. We'll tell you all about that too. 0344 499 1000. You tell us what you think, we'll tell everybody else. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let's get it on. 
Without further ado, let us go straight to Rupert Bell, because he is Talk Radio's, of course, royal correspondent. says here he's the political correspondent, but that would be wrong. Uh, so perhaps whoever filled that out could correct it for me in case I read it out uh, and get it completely wrong as well. Harry and Meghan talk about their first date. Let's have a look at the first clip. Started at 8am this morning. Check this. You were late. Mm-hmm. He kept texting when he was late. He's like, I'm in traffic. I'm so sorry. I'm in traffic. I'm so sorry. I was panicking. I was freaking out. I was like sweating. Again, I didn't know him. So I was like, oh, is, is this what he does? Got it. Like, this I'm not doing. I'm not going to sit. <laughs> what was that supposed to mean? Like, like one of the guys who's so much of an ego that you're not going to, that you don't, that any girl would sit around and wait for a half hour for you. And I was just not interested in that. And then when I walked in, I hot, so sweaty, sweet. red ball of mess. She's she like, oh, like, that's oh, not, no, not, that's not what you want. <laughs> I'm so, you genuinely sorry. were like so embarrassed and late. <laughs> it's real hard-hitting stuff, isn't it? It's a bit like watching Panorama. Uh, let's talk to Rupert Bell. Rupert, for God's sake, what are they doing? Um, well, it, it's it's been a wonderful morning. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it not, um, but it just dragged on. That first episode dragged on. It okay? It's probably setting the scene. It, I'm a sort of uh, three quarters of the way through the second. I'm just checking my screen to see how much more of the second episode I've got to watch and about another 20 minutes. Clearly, the main point of it is they're having a real go at the press intrusion and the similarities in the way that um, Diana faced press intrusion from the moment she joined the royal family or it was announced and from way before that. And, and the same sort of story and theme is running through the relationship with Harry and Meghan and how that she was finding in um, when she was in Toronto. She'd had six uh, pre- press photographers stalking her and, and reflecting that clearly once that relationship became public, there was a great deal of interest. And Harry is suggesting that a lot of the press coverage had serious racial undertones. Look, um, clearly the, the press has at times you wonder um, you know, they do go quite brutal at times and yeah. you hope that they will learn from that. But clearly the undercurrent is that they feel that they are the victim and then they shot, keep sh- changing to these lovely idyllic scenes in their 11 point whatever it is, million dollar villa yeah. in uh, in California where Archie is seen running around having a lovely time. And you wonder, well, that's what you've given it all up for. What is there to complain about? Well, I, think that, I, mean, that, I mean, that's the overwhelming feeling, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. we watched them last night uh, in uh, America at the New York uh, Kennedy Awards, where they were being uh, given an award for fighting the institutional racism of the royal family. They looked pretty happy to me. They were laughing. They were joking. They were talking about how they thought they were going on a, fir- a date night. They'd arrived in a private jet. They'd come in from the airport, presumably in a Cadillac Escalade, you know, all guns blazing. I don't know what there is to complain about, you know? Well, well, clearly, what led to it? Now, we know that this is a one-sided view of the the breakdown. We do know that members of the royal press tried to deal, or the royal household tried to deal with any feelings of press intrusion into their life. But when she was in America filming, there's not much the royal family can do. They can say to maybe the British press, please don't publish these pictures. But actually, it's not just a British problem. The American yeah. 
Um, you know, well, how, how about, how about uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep coming backwards and forwards to you, to, to Rupert, so I'm yeah. going to let you go right now because I know you, you're itching to watch the next episode because it's going to be that riveting. But, you know, pop quiz. If you join the royal family and you actually marry a guy who is an heir to the throne of Great Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, there might be a bit of press intrusion. Get used to it and shut the hell up. Thank you very much indeed. We'll talk to Rupert Bell in a second. Dan Hodges is here uh, to talk about something even more ridiculous, and that is the government of this country uh, and the way things are going. Very good morning to you. Good morning. It's a bit touch and go, which is more ridiculous. <laughs> well, it is. Government. I mean, I'm glad you finally made it here. I mean, were, yes, you, were you hampered by any strike action at any point? Uh, I wasn't. I, I glided through, fortunately. Very good. Very well done. Um, I now find myself in every situation starting this show off not quite sure exactly where to go because there's so much to discuss. I don't really know what's more important than anything else. It seems to me the strikes are probably the most important thing to talk about first up uh, off the top of the, uh, the, sh- the sheet because, I mean, watch PMQs yesterday. Rishi Sunak doesn't seem to think there's a problem. He seems to think everything's going really well. He thinks he's rescued the economy. He thinks he's rescued the Tory party, neither of which things is actually true. Um, but let's talk about the strikes and let's talk about how desperate this is all going to get because it seems to me there are sort of shades of Edward Heath going on. There are shades of, you know, the 70s. What do you reckon? Yeah, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think where it's going to go, I think it's going to get a lot worse. I mean, I, 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 mean, I think the problem with this is it is an almost seemingly an intractable problem yeah. in the sense that, I'm going to be completely honest here, uh, I used to work for a trade union, um, I have a lot of sympathy, and I think that a lot of people have a lot of sympathy for the people who are going out on, on, on strike, because obviously when you have a situation where we have this uh, this sort of unprecedented cost of living crisis, people's wages are falling behind inflation to such a, a, a dramatic extent that people are actually struggling to, to make ends meet. It is understandable, firstly, that people want to have a decent pay rise, and it's secondly that their unions are going to represent them on that. So I, I completely understand on this instance, this is not, if if you like, political disruption. This is genuine industrial. Oh, I don't agree industrial. with you about that. Well, I, I, I don't. I think this is this is a genuine. Well, we can have a good round. We'll have a good argument about that. Yeah. This is a genuine industrial dispute. I think I think one of the problems that over the last few years is is, is some of the unions have sort of become to an extent, political agitators. I don't think that's happening in this this instance. But equally, the other side of the, of the equation is there's simply no way the government can concede 15, 16, 17, 18% percent pay rises. Mm. So uh, I don't actually at the moment see what the solution is. The, the one thing I would agree with you, though, about, and, and I just find this generally more generally bizarre since Rishi Sunak has taken over as Prime Minister... Aside from these occasional interventions at PMQs, he hasn't really addressed the issue no. of industrial action. He hasn't really ad- addressed the issue of the cost of living crisis. He's left it to Jeremy Hunt to to address the issue. But of he's the also economy. disappeared. I mean, neither one of them are very no, I, I, exactly. And he's he has completely disappeared. And I, you know, I said this the other day. I mean, we we, we we get these sort of quite slick videos, and we get these photographs of him, you know, talking to Joe Biden on his spider phone on his desk, and right. we had a photo of him opening letters from people congratulating him on PM. But in terms of addressing the country and speaking to the country in relation to these issues, never mind coming up with a strategy for tackling them, I think at the moment he's missing in action. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The reason I would differ with you is it may well be uh, that some of these strikes started off as genuine kind of grievances and genuine wishes for more money. But the fact is that most of them are not about money. 
and that's by their own admission. You know, the RMT have said it's not just about money. It's about working practices. It's about job security. The NHS and particularly paramedics who are driving ambulances are saying, you know, people are dying. This is not just about money. This is about making the NHS better. So they're kind of making a, a point and making a statement. And the longer that it goes on, and they can't now argue that the government doesn't negotiate with them anymore because the government is now negotiating with all of them, but getting nowhere, the more people consider that this is a political action, it's a general strike in all but name. And all of these unions have now admitted that they are going to collaborate with one another, they're going to collaborate with one another in the NHS, and they're going to bring the NHS to its knees, which they say it's already on. So I think a lot of people are sick to the back teeth now because a lot of people, ordinary people who are not in the public sector, haven't had the pay rises. And I know that you, you'll say, well, you know, OK, that's because the private sector maybe should give them more. But last night on first edition with Tom Newton Dunham, was a Labour MP who said, you know, what the union should be doing is making more of a case for the ordinary independent workers, the people who do want the pay rise, as opposed to grandstanding and sort of, you know, trying to bully the government into giving them something. No, I think that's. I, I, I mean, I, I understand that, but I think the reality is um, the cost of living crisis is real and it's unprecedented. I mean, the, the, the increase in the price of food, obviously, the increase in the price of energy, even given mm-hmm. the, the, the support that the government is providing, the inflationary increases across the board mean the reality is very, very large numbers of people, a vast majority of people, are really struggling this winter, which is why. I think at the moment you can, and you can see it across the board in terms of the uh, in terms of the, the polls, there is widespread public support for well, the industrial was. action. Now it's fading. Uh, though, now, so. obviously, obviously, as it is the nature of these th- th- these things. I mean, again, I know from my experience in the trade unions, there's initial support, and then after a while, people just become become bored. They become mm. exasperated, and that's that public support support wanes. And that's certainly something I think the trade unions need to take account of. I think sort of Mick Lynch's uh, sudden announcement we're going to be shutting the rail network on Christmas Eve was un- unnecessarily provocative. And, it was. Uh, and they and, knew exactly and, and that aggressive, and he knew, and, and, he, and, and he obviously knew what he was doing, and I think that was a mistake. But I think in broad, in broad terms, you know, if we say we're going to have unions, we're going to have organised labour, we're going to allow people to organise, then a point at which unions members are seeing such massive real-term cuts... To their wages and, 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 and living standards, I can entirely see why they're taking this course of action. However, as I said, the reality is the money they're asking for simply isn't there, mm. and that's why this is this is such a, right. a, a real crisis. Yes, and the Labour MP I was listening to last night was also saying she was talking to a lot of people who are in taking part in these strikes, and many of them are saying we can't afford to do this for much longer, which is also uh, a factor. Stay where you are, though, because we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Dan Hodges is here from the Men on Sunday. We've got loads to talk about. Uh, the Labour Party, Rishi Sunak, the strikes, everything else, and we'll keep you updated with Harry and Meghan as well. It is like the World Cup, you know, with every single minute that passes, there's yet another infraction. Uh, will somebody give them a red card? I'd like to. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. We are underway with the uh, Netflix documentary of uh, Harry and Meghan. Dan Hodges is here. I should probably ask you, just for the sake of it, uh, about Harry and Meghan, as we uh, as we are uh, bringing people sort of you know hourly updates of what they're yes. doing. People hate it, but they're sort of inexorably drawn to it, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I mean, I actually, I mean, I've got to be honest. I'm not, I'm not really a, a great sort of rule watcher or, or much into the raw psychodrama, but I do. I, I mean, I'm delighted because I think finally they've been found out. 
yeah. you know, and they found themselves out. And I think you know everybody can finally see this this for what it is. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a you know a documentary. It's, it's not, a grift, isn't it's it? It's not a documentary. It's, it's well, it's a basically it's a propaganda film. Yeah. I mean, it's a it, it's a propaganda film by two people who are clearly uh, you know it's self obsessed. It's um, you know self justifying. And as I said, you can everyone can see it it for being what it is. I mean, I'm old enough to remember they were going off to Canada to live a quiet life yeah. and avoid the media spotlight. Yeah. Well, some island that? in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, right? what happened to that? Yeah. Well, the people on the island complained, I think. It says if you find movies in California <laughs> where you, you blame belong. them. Yeah. No, absolutely right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the world of politics. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, probably since the last time we had a different prime minister. Probably have, yes. I mean, it's been an extraordinary year. I was just saying um, to Dan in, uh, in the break there that, you know, we're putting together a bunch of shows as we do towards the end of the year, you know, rounds up of the year you know, plank of the year, that kind of thing. And I suddenly thought, Boris Johnson, he's disappeared, isn't he? He's almost like a, in a puff of smoke. He was gone. Well, I mean, it's just... Like it, Kaiser Soche. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Without the birds. He might be back. He might be back. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, obviously, Boris Boris is gone in a puff of smoke. I mean, did Liz Truss ever arrive? Did yeah. we imagine her? Yeah. Did she, we imagine does, the, the Truss premiership? Uh, Rishi Sunak is, as we've just been saying, is Prime Minister, but doesn't, for some, doesn't seem to want to be prime minister. I don't know, frankly, what he, what his, what he's doing at the moment. Right. No, I mean it's been, it's been. I mean, it's just quite incredible. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think we will see a political year quite like no. this again. I mean, the year of three prime ministers. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard it's to believe. I mean, I genuinely struggle now to think of who's in the cabinet doing what job. And if you said to me, "Can you name the last five chancellors?" I'd probably just about get that. But I couldn't name you the last four, the Secretary of State for Health. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I you think, know, I, and I, imagine, and we're supposed to be the people that know about this. No, stuff. And, and actually, I mean, obviously, we were talking about about strikes before. We were talking about the cost of living crisis. I mean, there is a practical thing, which is, you know, these issues are diff- would be difficult enough to manage anyway. The fact that we've, they've been chopping and changing. Mm. I mean, like you said, we've had chancellors who've lasted a week, two weeks. We had right. an education secretary who lasted. There was a day, 18, wasn't there? 18 hours. Yeah, <laughs> eighteen Less hours. Than a day. Michelle Donnellan, who is actually. Uh, is actually turning out to be a very good culture secretary. Mm. He's actually one of the. He's going to be one of the politicians to watch moving forward. She's mm. actually very, very good, Michelle Donald. Um But no, I mean, it's just it, it. It's unprecedented. I mean, I think. I mean, touching on Boris, it's going to be very, very interesting to see, see what Boris yeah. does. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people now announcing, amongst them Dan Han- uh, Dan Hancock, Matt Hancock, Hancock yeah. um, saying he's not going to run. There's a lot of Tory MPs. Actually, Javid's another one who are obviously leaving the sinking ship yeah. before it sinks because like, they don't fancy opposition. I mean, clearly, this is an opportunity for Boris Johnson to say, maybe I should just disappear. But well, he says he's going to stand, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he says he's going to stand. And if Boris Johnson stands uh, in Uxbridge at the next election, I will run naked down Uxbridge High Street. There is nobody, there wants, is, to see uh, nobody wants to see that. But, they don't, really but they can be, the, your listeners say- can, re- the, the, the good people of Uxbridge <laughs> can rest assured, I won't be doing it because there is no way Boris Johnson, yeah. whatever happens, is going to fight that seat. There is, a, there is an outside possibility that after the local elections next year, there may be a bring back Boris campaign. Uh, there, you can just about see circumstances where he, he might return. But if he does return, he's not going to be defending mm. a, a 7,000 majority in Uxbridge, that's for sure. But the other big question, and, and there's a lot of Conservative MPs asking it, is can Rishi Sunak actually get two years out of his premiership? And can he go two years before there has to be an election? Because again, bringing it back to the strikes. I mean, there is definitely a sense that this is a general strike that is intended and designed to bring down the government in a sort of Edward Heath sort of way, who's running the country, us or them? Yeah, I, I think the issue is, though, I mean, the, I mean, look, the reality is Rishi Sunak still has a, a significant majority. 
to get to a general election, it would require a, 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 a small but significant number of Tory MPs to effectively be, turn themselves into turkeys who vote mm. for Christmas. I mean, that would you know that would involve a wipeout of the Conservative Party. And the other, th- I mean, just the one thing I would say, which is sort of slightly goes against the narrative. Um, despite all the problems, and we hear all sorts of t- stuff about you know Rishi Sunak t- too weak, rebellions, etc. We've had some kicking up about wind farms. Mm. But in reality, the Tory backbenches are at the moment being relatively well behaved. Now, we'll have to see where we are when we get to the new year. I think the, to- the Tory, as bad as the Tory poll rating is now, I think it's only going to get worse mm. because obviously the economic, a lot of the economic Unless side they can hasn't fix cut things. in yet. Now, if they can fix things, obviously the political mm. narrative changes. But if, the, but if, just simply take the economy, if the economy is anything like the projections, that's going to be almost impossible to fix. That's before you get to what do we do about immigration, what mm. do we do about the boats, what do we do about the strikes. We've still got the, the war in Ukraine going on. Yeah. That's going to be a, a major issue. And, and also the other thing is this is a political party that's now been in power for 12 years mm. and all political parties reach... You know, the they're end, out of, the they're end out of their sell-by date. Yeah, and, I, and I, I think you can see it and you can feel it. So, you know, miracles do happen in politics, but it is going to take a miracle now for Rishi Sunak to turn things around. Yeah. And Keir Starmer's not any more impressive or less impressive than he was. I mean, even yesterday, when Sunak was kind of on the ropes, he still can't quite make it work, can he? Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you again, actually. I, right. I, actually, think he, I actually think he's been more impressive. I think there was a period when he just basically wasn't doing anything and he was playing safe. But I think the last couple of months, I mean, I wrote about this a few weeks ago, the last couple of months, he has, he has changed. And he has clearly taken the decision, the Tories are there for the taking now, and equally has taken the decision, I want to go for this and I want to maximise my majority. I'm not just going to sit back and let them lose it. So we've seen some very unkeer like statements on issues like immigration. I mean, he was popping up. He popped up a couple of days ago saying he, th- he thought we should be tagging a, a, mm. asylum seekers, which got him a lot of criticism. Obviously, suddenly come out and start to be very, very bold on Brexit and bold in terms of saying, I'm not going to go mm. back. I'm not going to re- reopen the negotiations uh, on this, I mean, I think he was coming out. He, he, he started coming out saying something quite, uh, quite outspoken on trans rights. Obviously, he famously got himself in trouble by saying, you know, being unable to say what a woman was. Mm. So I think in all these areas, I think he's becoming more. I think he's becoming much more confident. I think he's becoming much more confident about m- moving moving Labour to the centre, which is where I think they should they should be. I think you're right. He, he, you know, he's not going to win some sort of like Matt Hancock type popularity contest you it know <laughs> you know um uh but uh but i think politically um he, he's actually doing much better than he was 12 months ago although obviously you know that he, he's being greatly helped by what's happening i mean he would have to be completely and utterly useless wouldn't he not to take advantage yeah, and of he's, the situation no absolutely and he's not completely and utterly useless he's obviously got his drawbacks i mean i think he's he, i don't think he's properly um connected with the british British people, yeah, I think he needs to go further, in particular in relation to the economy. I'm still not clear what Keir Starmer would do differently mm. on the economy. Labour's still got some pretty significant spending commitments that are sitting there that I just don't see are mm. affordable at the moment. But that notwithstanding, I think certainly his personal performance has got better over the last 12 months by a significant amount. Yeah. He's still got some time to go to practice some more. Dan, great to see you. We're out of time already, believe it or not. Um, Dan Hodges, Mail on Sunday, read his column every Sunday and on occasional uh, other days as well. This is Talk TV. We've got loads more to do, more from Harry and Meghan, more uh, from you, as, of course, as well. And the strikes, 
What are we going to do? This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Loads of things going on today. Special guest appearance, uh, by the way, later on for the Thursday Club. Helen Nicklin's coming in. I think we're doing World Cup wines because, of course, the World Cup is really getting going this weekend. Uh, the final eight teams in the quarterfinals. It's going to be very exciting. England against France on Saturday, of course. Uh, Mark Saggers will be all over that, I'm sure. Right now, though, uh, it's time to talk to Ben Clatworthy, travel correspondent at The Times, because uh, we were just talking with Dan Hodges there about the ludicrous nature now of these very, very political strikes. And many of you agree with me uh, that there is not widespread support. Peter says this from Stevenage. Mike, widespread public support for the strikes, not bloody likely. Get back to work. This is totally political. One good thing, if the Home Office and Border Force do go on strike and the water taxis bring in the illegal stop working, then they can strike ad infinitum, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, that's fine. But it's not so much the Border Force at Dover. It's the Border Force at all the airports, Heathrow included. But let's just have a look before we talk to Ben um, at the old advent calendar, the strike calendar. Let's see who's on strike today. Eighth, December the 8th, um, Wednesday, Thursday, I should say. Uh, Green King Brewers apparently on their third day of strikes. We didn't know this three days ago. Green King union members are currently out on strike. Starts on the 5th of December. is scheduled to last until the 9th of December. I don't know why. There's no reason for it. Not getting enough money, not getting enough beer. Uh, also, a Bellio London bus workers strike. Uh, they've had not failed. They've failed to enter into meaningful pay talks, so there may not be any buses running during the day from South and West London to and from Heathrow terminals four and five. I mean, it's just random now, isn't it, Ben? Um, I didn't know about this one, a Bellio London just to Heathrow. No, I mean, I, I, I'm the transport correspondent. Who I takes a bus admit, to I've Heathrow? No idea. About who that. takes a bus to Heathrow from South and West London? No I mean, one. You'd I have to not be in much of a hurry, right? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I've got I a do. flight sometime tomorrow. I think I'll take the bus. I like the brewery strike. Brewery strike, yeah. I don't know, don't know why, what that's about. No idea. Don't get any information. So, so far we've got um, the rail strikes are continuing. They've been telling us not to even bother travelling next week. Because yes, yes. Strikes are what? Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- Friday, Saturday. Yes. We've uh, got a live, myself and Kevin O'Sullivan, we've got a live show at Waterloo. Quite a few people saying we might have trouble getting there because it's on Friday afternoon. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, next week is a write-off on the railways. I sound like a broken record. Listeners have heard me say it before, but I feel very sorry for the hospitality industry yes. in this. They've had terrible time. Many of them get paid, uh, not the business owners, but the w- workers get paid less and on zero-hours contracts. The people on the railway are not on zero-hours contracts at all. None of them got furloughed. Everyone in the hospitality industry got furloughed. Yeah. Uh, they kept their jobs uh, and yet they are striking and really, really nailing an industry that has suffered so much. And yeah. yes, the brewer, maybe, maybe we won't feel the effects of the brewery strike because no one will be in uh, pubs, in cent- particularly in central cities next yeah. week. Uh, the uh, nighttime economies uh, association, their trade body, say that on strike days so far this year, they have lost 40% of revenues. Uh, nationwide on strike days next week. That mm. figure will be higher because it is the busiest week of the year. Because for it's Christmas funny, parties. isn't it? An awful lot of people have kind of got to terms with or come to terms with the rail strike, so they just don't bother going to work. So it actually doesn't affect as many people when you cancel the railways, but it does affect the other businesses, as you say, that are sort of tangentially connected. A friend of mine and a good friend of the show, Donald McLeod in Scotland, runs some nightclubs up there. He says, I don't know how many people to hire for any given day. I can't shut the club. 
but I've got to have staff. I don't know how many, how much stock to order because I don't know how many people are going to turn up. It's just a complete nightmare. Well, totally, and I think it's interesting because regularly levelled at me as this that it's a southeast thing. It's a it's a southern thing. Railway. It's not. It's not. It's everywhere, and also the hospitality businesses that I've spoken to in the last week say that they know full well that more people travel on the train on the day of their Christmas party mm. for obvious reasons right. um, and that's not possible. Next week is the busiest yeah. week for Christmas parties and it's going to affect people and actually yeah. I really wonder if, if now the, the public support is going to start to wane I for think this. it has already and particularly when the RMC announced the Christmas Eve strike because that is also a day when an awful lot of people travel to go and see their, their families because they're going home for Christmas or whatever it is, um, and now there's going to be no trains. When I reported this and uh, popped it on uh, Twitter, I got instantly got people that work for the railway saying, oh, no, you know, because of the shift time, it will only affect the engineering work. It won't affect passengers. It will affect passengers because we know full well. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. On strike days, the uh, disruption starts earlier. Mm. It's been starting the day before strikes. Uh, right. It will affect passengers. Anyone that says it won't is lying. Um, and it will be proved that it affects passengers on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Watch this space. And as if that's not bad enough, yesterday we get the Border Force announcing that they're going to strike at all the airports. Um, so tell us a bit more about the detail of that. Yes, a thousand members of the Public and Commercial Services Union, I'm learning all these union names, right. uh, are going to walk out from December the 23rd to Boxing Day and from December the 28th to New Year's Eve at Heathrow, Gatwick, Manchester, Birmingham, Cardiff and Glasgow and the port of New Haven, uh, which off the top of my head is in It's down in Sussex, Sussex it is. Uh, 
and this is going to have massive impact. Uh, I was leaked a letter yesterday uh, from the Director General of the Border Force to uh, airlines and airports saying that despite the fact that they've got 600 soldiers who've been trained up to do it, the letter says our contingency workforce will not be able to operate with the same efficiency as our permanent workforce. And the letter goes on to say that the uh, airports and airlines will have to... uh, cap capacity at 70 to 80 percent of 2019 levels on the strike date the strike dates really spooked uh, Whitehall but they weren't expecting them to be such sweeping dates uh, more than 10,000 flights are scheduled to land uh, at the airports on the affected dates with 2 million uh, seats combined which by my calculation means that up to 600,000 people who are due to travel Mm. on those dates will be getting emails in the next couple of days from their airlines saying your flight is cancelled. Merry Christmas. I mean, it looks more and more like a sort of general Christmas strike, doesn't it? And for many people, um, the railways in particular, I suppose, it's too late now for next week, but it doesn't even matter if Mick Lynch, the Grinch, as we call him, cancels the strikes. If he does it too late, there aren't any trains the, anyway. The timetable now for next week's strikes is, uh, as much as I loathe the expression, is baked in. That's, mm. that's set now. I also loathe that expression. Uh, I'm glad you loathe it. Yes, I d- it, it, but it is what they're saying. And that's that. That is it now. So, And he says the strikes are going ahead. You know, maybe he will cancel them at the last minute. A cynic would say that the reason they did it last time is because they cancelled it and therefore their workers got paid, mm. even though there were no yes. services. Well, that is the cynical part of it, isn't it? So they know very well how to play the system. They call a strike, they cancel it sort of two days before it's supposed to happen. They are then effectively available for work, have to be paid, but the trains can't run. Yes, totally, so, which is, is what happens. And that, that was, that again, and that's where I think last time there was a lot of, uh, anger levelled bizarrely mm. at the railway operators saying, well, there's no strikes, but you c- can't seem to run your services. Mm. Well, actually, it wasn't their fault. And this rare occasion, it wasn't, right. it wasn't their right. fault. It was the union's fault. And the union knew exactly, exactly what they were doing. Mm. And again, I just think maybe, and I, maybe I'll be proved wrong, but I think that the public opinion is starting and will oh, I start think, to No, shift. I think it's already started to move. Finally, um, if you are booked to fly somewhere at Christmas and your flight your flight is cancelled, do you have any um, ability to get some kind of compensation? You'll get a full refund. Uh, compensation, my gut instinct, while it's still being worked out, will be unlikely because mm. this is outside the airline's control, which is kind of fair enough, but you will get a full refund. What I would do, though, is say to people, don't knee-jerk start cancelling or rebooking yet. Yeah. Sit and wait and see. Airlines will probably, certainly out of Heathrow, the likes of BA, will prioritise long-haul flights and Mm. cancel more of the short-haul high-frequency routes to try and be able to move people around easier so that not every single person finds that their flight is cancelled and Mm. can't fly. So I would sit tight, but it is going to have massive disruption. And again, it's one of those things where actually it's, what, now the 8th of December, the clock is ticking down for how long, whether this goes whether this gets cancelled and as far as i can see at the moment the government rightly in many ways are, are sticking there mm. st- sitting on there s- sitting and waiting and seeing what happens because mm. it doesn't take you know we can't be well, giving I mean, out if they 12% give in to pay all this, increases you know then there'll just be another another call for more money you know you can't do it Ben, thanks very much indeed. You've got the front page of the Times today. Uh, we've got plenty more to talk about. But, I mean, Rishi Sunak yesterday said he was going to get tough on these striking workers. What exactly is he going to do? 
And what should he do? 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Welcome uh, to the freest show on the planet. We here talk about pretty much anything you want, everything that is out there which is up for discussion. And coming up in this hour, we're going to talk to Molly Kingsley, co-founder of Us For Them, uh, because we've got a lot to talk about vis-a-vis children. Matt Hancock came out, of course, and said, oh, yeah, the only reason we decided to put masks on children uh, back in the day uh, during the pandemic was because Nicola Sturgeon did it, and we didn't want to be seen uh, to be being pushed into a situation by her. Oh, right. So then you decided to let yourself be pushed into a situation by her uh, without any scientific evidence to back it. Brilliant. We've also seen, of course, in the last few days, um, an unfortunate rise uh, in the number of deaths as a result of the uh, strep A uh, infection, which seems to affect children more badly than it does affect adults. And of course, one of the reasons given for the way that it affects children is that they don't really have any decent immunity because they were raised uh, during the pandemic, where they didn't really go out, where they didn't really see anybody, where they didn't really mingle with anybody where they didn't really have any contact with any other kids and so therefore their immune systems are by their very nature less capable of dealing with deadly diseases and infections so that's a terrible legacy to have to talk about also uh, i'm going to talk about toby young this morning because he's put out a tweet just now saying the environment editor of the times is alarmed about the flood of disinformation on twitter about climate change since elon musk took over what he means is that twitter no longer suppresses criticism of net zero because what we do know from elon musk and we talk about elon from time to time and we'll no doubt talk about him before the end of this week as well with one of our correspondents in america you know he might be considered to be a bit of a maverick he might be considered to be a bit reckless even but the point about elon musk is that what he doesn't do uh, is what twitter used to do which is to suppress information that they don't like because of its politics and where it comes from and that on my friends i'm afraid is entirely wrong uh, how about this from mark who says not 10p off fuel duty scrap green levy on energy and get rid of social care precept on council tax bill at least 20 percent more in your pocket inflation comes down no need to strike or to give pay rises hashtag simples well, if only you were running the government, Mark, I have to say, if only you were running the Treasury, because there are so many ways of cutting inflation. There are so many ways of actually making life better for people instead of handing them money, which is actually their own money, from a taxpayer fund that doesn't exist. Absolutely bonkers. 0344 Rich from Dudley says, Hi, Mike, I've just endured, endured 30 seconds of that dross from Harry and Meghan. After I woke up, I knew Harry was lying. As we all know, the male members of the royal family can't sweat. I'll endure some more some other time. A lot of you also thanking um, Rupert Bell for watching Harry and Meghan for us so we don't have to. It sounds like utter dross. He gave it four out of ten. I would give it one out of ten. Maybe they'll get the hint and just disappear off the face of the earth and never bother us again. Just get out of our lives. Stop harassing us. Stop interfering with our personal privacy. Stop invading our privacy. Just get off the air. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Molly Kingsley, co-founder of Us For Them. Molly, very good morning to you. Good morning, mate. Have you managed to avoid watching Harry and Meghan this morning? Have you managed to find other things to do? I have. I'm very sorry. Well done. No, well done. This and with I'm a Celebrity, I'm really torn, actually, because I feel it's like a moral duty not to watch. But, of course, I now feel like I'm the only person in the country who hasn't watched. No, you're not. I don't know how long I'm going to hold out. No, listen, you're absolutely right. I have not watched Harry and Meghan. I will not watch it. Everyone who's going, oh, yeah, but you will, won't you? I'm like, actually, no, I won't. You know, I well, I'll do you a deal. If you hold out, I'll hold out. I will. I mean, you know, I've I've had my TV sort of and everything moved around in my in my flat in London. And actually, I haven't even hooked up the TV properly yet. So if I it's an actual effort 
effort to go and watch anything on TV, so I can't be bothered. And I'm not going to watch. I didn't watch one second of Matt Hancock in the Jungle, and I'm not watching one second of Harry and Meghan. I refuse. But yeah, funnily enough, more came out of uh, Matt Hancock in this book serialisation than than it did while he was in the jungle. One of those things was that he said, oh, yeah, well, one of the reasons we reintroduced masks into schools was because Nicola Sturgeon did it in Scotland. And you kind of go, what? I mean, there's nothing else that they copied that she did. Why would they copy that? It's incredible, isn't it? And it, it, the way it came out, you know, it was so flippant. And, I mean, like many other parents, it just makes my blood boil. Mm. Like, I can't express the rage that I felt when I saw that. And the way, the manner of it, and this callous treatment of children. And, you know, this was a really serious intervention for so many Mm. kids. Kids were masked for seven or eight hours a day. That was more than pretty much any adult outside of medical settings. It was certainly more than MPs and ministers were signing up to. And actually, for some children, particularly... Send children, deaf children, it was a really debilitating period. It mm. cut them off from their friends. It was discriminatory. And to hear him say, oh, it was all because Sturgeon did it and we didn't want to be outdone, it's incredible. It really is. Because I think an awful lot of people who don't have children or who didn't have children at school at that time um, don't quite understand how terrible it was. You know, I had two children at school at that particular moment. One of them was happy to go along with it. And one of them wasn't, you know. And the people who then sort of turned against him as a result of that was quite extraordinary. You know, teachers gave him a hard time. Some uh, of his fellow pupils gave him a hard time. You know, people were saying that, you know, if you don't wear a mask, you're somehow not only not conforming, but you're putting people in danger, putting people at risk. It was horrendous. Yeah, it, it brought out the very worst, actually, in our society. And that it was dark, I think. And this stigmatisation of children... Um, you know, that you've just described, who were non-conformist, mm. often for very good reasons. I mean, frank, frankly, all children and arguably all adults had a good reason because they don't work. Yeah, right. But actually, you know, you don't have to go that far to understand that masks for children in classrooms are not a benign measure. I mean, mm. Department for Education, Boris Johnson, Van Tam, all acknowledged this before they then introduced them. So this was an intervention with serious downsides and actually any child will have been well within their right to say, actually, no, Mm. you know, I don't want to do this. There's no benefit here. And actually, this is to make adults, to make teachers feel safe. But, you know, it was very divisive. And we shouldn't forget as well, Molly, that a lot of this was driven by the teaching unions. You know, we're at the moment uh, being uh, sort of confronted by unionisation at every stage now of the world, uh, sort of uh, the forum that we now operate in. You know, we've got rail strikes, we've got NHS strikes, teachers are threatening to go on strike, we've got university lecturers on strike. You know, it was all driven by by the unions because people actually tell me that in terms of the law, Any school that wanted to stay open and any school that wanted to make sure that all of their kids came to school could have done so. It was left to each individual school to make those decisions. And they all mostly collectively decided to to either close the school or if they reopened to make the kids wear masks. But there was no actual empirical evidence to do either. No, and I find this, um, you know, uh, and in fact, it's very interesting because in we, we, so us for them, did a series of Freedom of Information Act requests and... Um, We had to take it to a panel to actually get the, you know, the underlying information. We finally got it. And there's a rather defensive statement in one of the bits of paperwork we got back 
which says exactly what you said, Mike. Oh, you must remember in the context of, you know, the information we're about to give you that it was the mask. The mask guidance was only ever guidance. There was no obligation. Now, I just don't buy that. You'll remember at one point in the pandemic, there was a very brave head teacher called David Perks. Mm. He refused to um, go along with the mask guidance and actually DOV cracked down down on him and said that his school had to and eventually he backed down mm. and you know you hear that and you just think this was not guidance it was never presented as guidance it was presented as mandatory and that's what makes it so shocking to hear that the basis for the decision was purely political. Mm. Absolutely right and of course now uh, what we see is that the mask brigade haven't gone away because even now you're still seeing occasional signs from people like, you know, when we get the, 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 the stories of strep A, you know, which actually has killed far more children under the age of, I think, 10 than COVID ever did. But there's no mask mandate for that because, of course, they know that it doesn't work, right? And there was a time, and even now there might still be a time, where if you posted something to that effect on Facebook or Twitter, you would be banned. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think this is one of the problems. You know, what we've really seen over the last two and a half years as a complete failure of public health. And, you know, you're left in this very difficult position now where actually there are some illnesses that are, you know, genuinely a threat to children and where actually a different approach might be justifiable and needed. But, you know, what do you trust now mm. with public health? Because the messaging has been so disastrous. Yeah. So I think it's a mess. And I think actually we need very, very urgently to restore credibility to our public health messaging and for that you need honesty and truth and that has been almost entirely lacking for two yes. and a half years. So. And, and a funny story uh, that I just wanted to mention to you from yesterday about a whole bunch of um, MPs and peers who visited a school in South London um, to sit some tests, some SATs tests that are given basically to 11 year olds in primary school. And half of them failed them. Half of them couldn't answer the question. I don't know if you've looked at them. I mean, we did it last night on the talk. They're not actually that difficult, these questions, are they? No, well, 44% of them, I think, didn't. Only 44%, yeah. wasn't it, passed the maths one. And what I thought was really quite surprising about this, actually, is the MPs only agreed to do it on the basis that their individual results weren't disclosed. Mm. And you do wonder, you know, what are we doing giving an 11 year old exams that MPs won't do? But yeah, as you say, it didn't, you know, I'm sure I wouldn't have got them all right, but it didn't seem that hard. Yeah. It does slightly say something about the standard of politicians. But it rather does. And, and, and the way that they reacted as well, because I think it was Emma Hardy, who's a former Shadow Minister for Education, the Labour MP. She came out of it, the experience and said, well, maybe we need to reassess how children are actually um, examined and how they and how they're tested. Because, I mean, there's, there's a good point there, actually, because yeah. it's true to say, I think, and you'll probably know this as a mother, that some of the stuff that they get tested for is completely useless, you know, completely and utterly hopeless. Why would you need to know, you know, what a sort of possessive pronoun is? I mean, we were talking about it again last night. To, and there's five people there who are all making a living from speaking and not one of them knew what a personal pronoun was. And you go, well, maybe, yeah, well, maybe you don't need to know. I know, absolutely. I saw something about fronted of adverbial as well. And I thought, how, yeah. how often is that going to come in handy? I think there's a really serious point here, actually. And, you know, there's long been a question about whether it is right that we are putting our young children through SATs. So this was the year six SATs. Mm. They also have SATs or would have in a normal year at year two. And this is really, really young for children. And I think possibly goes back to a time when there was this huge emphasis on literacy and obviously this government has been very keen on that too and you know that's fine no one is denying that math 
and English are very important. But I think we are now in a world where actually there's so many other skills. So, you know, we have a huge skills shortage. Mm. We have children and adults who are not financially literate. And also we have things like nutrition and cooking, which actually if we could bake these things into, yeah. you know, our 11 year olds arguably would set us up for such a stronger, more resilient society mm. than by giving them, you know, telling, teaching them what a fronted adverbial is. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the other thing that we did yesterday. Uh, we saw a story which said that something like one uh, in 10 young people aged 18 to 24 are considering never getting a job at all of any kind. Not because they're lazy, but because they don't feel as if they're qualified to do anything. And they're not sure that they've got the ability to do certain jobs. I know. Well, this is so sad, isn't it? And, you know, so the, the, a very, very high percentage of our 16 year olds leave school without any qualifications, mm. just basic qualifications. And you think we're really letting kids down. And alongside that, of course, you then have these really, really expensive and very long university courses mm. that, you know, saddle students and young people with this huge debt. And actually, they'd be much better getting practical skills based degrees and courses and that needs to start when they're doing the SAT so I think there is a question about the SATs mm. and whether they should be doing it but interestingly students themselves 2016 went on strike over SATs they were so unpopular I remember that yeah absolutely right listen Molly great to talk to you thanks very much indeed Molly Kingsley there co-founder of Us for Them uh, with an update on some of their freedom of information requests which have revealed a shocking disregard for children and some of the decisions made around schools in the pandemic. I think we kind of knew that, but it's good to know uh, that they've got this information and had it absolutely and utterly confirmed because there is still plenty of time for the COVID inquiry to look back at what happened and to start naming names, to start blaming some people for exactly what went wrong and what happened. Of course, Matt Hancock will say, nothing to do with me, Gov. I was only the Secretary of State for Health. Not my fault. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, I got this from somebody once again. Please do put your name if you're texting us in particular, because if it doesn't come up, uh, we can't see where it's from. I worked at an NHS dental practice that was bought by a corporate firm. The manager took the bowls out of the toilets to save on the electricity bill. It was a joke. Doesn't sound too sensible, does it? I mean, who knows if that's even true. Uh, date night, says Tanya in London. Uh, they would normally take a private jet to New York for a date night. I cannot stand these people, says Tanya. She's talking, of course, about Harry and Meghan. You might have heard the news there that uh, Raheem Sterling um, and the break-in, uh, they've made some arrests uh, uh, as a result of an investigation into a second burglary in the village of Oxshot, uh, where Mr Sterling lives, apparently. Uh, the police said it was looking into whether there were links between the raid on Mr Sterling's home on Saturday an attempted break in another home on Tuesday. Two men have been arrested on suspicion of attempted burglary. Now, uh, let us talk about striking again, because before we talk to Charles McAllister, Director of Onshore Oil and Gas, um, we have got the advent calendar for strike of the day. And here we are, um, December the 6th, is it? Or the 7th? We now have G4S Cash. They've suspended planned strikes today after a pay deal was signed with the giant security company. Well, why have we got them in there then? If they've suspended it. Hey? Who else is on strike? Well, this is a shambles. Are you on strike? I think the producers are on strike. They've managed to make a complete dog's breakfast of this. 
Anyway, we'll come back to that. Never mind. Uh, let's talk to Charles McAllister um, and we'll get some common sense from him. Charles, a very good um, morning to you. Welcome. Morning, Mike. How's it going? Yeah, not bad at all. I'm a bit puzzled by this, this story this morning about uh, a deal between Rishi Sunak and Joe Biden in the USA and the UK because yeah. we're apparently not going to frack, uh, but yeah. they are fracking happily and we're going to be buying some of their gas as a result of that fracking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it's textbook naked hypocrisy yes. from the British government. They're saying we're going to import billions of pounds worth of American shale gas, but we're not going to produce our own shale gas. So just some t statistics for you from October of last year until August of this year, the UK spent in excess of £6 billion, that's conservative, on American shale gas, right. just for, uh, for your viewers and listeners. £225 of your household bill went to fund the American shale gas industry since October of last year. How much? £225 per household Blimey. has gone to fund the American shale gas industry just since October of last year. We've been importing American shale gas since 2017. Right. I mean, if you look at other supplies such as Qatar, we're in well into the tens of billions, so it's much, much higher. And if you actually look at what the British government said, I was, I was reading it again this morning, it, it's the, what they've said in their press release is, we have the natural resources, industry and innovative thinking we need to create a better, freer system. I agree with that. Then why don't we use them? Yeah. Yeah, well, how about we don't even need to give them any money? We can just use the money to explore the gas here. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. where is it now with uh, people like yourselves who are interested in the shale gas industry and the fracking industry? Because presumably it's a bit difficult for you to either get investment into companies or indeed to find out... Uh, whether there's going to be any chance that you can ever, you know, get your tools into the ground, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, the government have reimposed a moratorium on what we think is quite illogical grounds, because if they were applying regulations fairly, they would also uh, ban the construction, geothermal and quarrying industry in the UK. Mm. So it is purely a political decision, which makes our options relatively more limited but we, we are considering our position at the minute but our absolute preference is to develop the resource and that's i will always continue to make the case to do so yes indeed and presumably of the gas that is manufactured in the u.s and then shipped over here presumably in quite an expensive way on container ships um could you produce the same amount here that we take in from there absolutely so we can make the uk self-sufficient in natural gas by the 2030s. And in doing so, what we will do is generate tens of thousands of well-paid skilled jobs in the UK, reduce our gas supply carbon footprint, billions in community benefits for local people. You don't get that through imports. Mm. Tax, you don't get that through imports. I mean, the economic, environmental and geopolitical merits of producing it here instead of importing it are overwhelming. But so that's why I don't understand why the government is going for this yeah. and if you look as well on the there's been an announcement today about onshore winds so what they're saying is onshore wind is going to go ahead with local support and there's going to be a consultation on this that is what we were going to get in our regulatory framework so why is it acceptable for onshore wind which has a load factor it basically a useful time of about 28 percent so that means 70 percent of the time you don't get wind even when it's there um, we, we, we just don't understand. We don't think it's reasonable. And wouldn't it be true to say that um, the amount of um, energy generated by onshore wind yep. would not be anywhere close to what you could generate from fracking and also they can't really store it? 
Well, yeah, it's a key point. I mean, if you look at so electric, there's a it's commonly confused in even some um, some people in government the confusion between energy and electricity. So natural gas provides forty percent of our electricity. Onshore wind average is about twenty percent. So gas is about double that. Right. But we need to look at gas demand outside of the electricity system as well. So 84% of homes in the UK heat with natural gas as the temperature is beginning to drop here, that will become increasingly important. Mm. Uh, And natural gas is a key feedstock for industry to produce things like toothpaste, fertilizer, all sorts of things. You can't do that with electricity. No. And I mean, I've never understood why the government did away with those gas fields which were good for storage in the North Sea. Um, I think it was a Labour government that started all that. Um, but they just did away with any sort of storage facility that we that we would have had. Was that all, again, driven by the sort of green madness? OK, so, great question. That was driven by an assumption in the civil service that the UK would, have, would be able to buy gas cheaply right. on the international market for decades. So what they basically said was, we don't really need to produce our own. We don't need the gas storage facility, which is called Rough off the Yorkshire coast. We don't need that. Now they're sort of boosting or trying to boost uh, UK natural gas production, at least offshore, but then simultaneously introducing a windfall tax, which mm. disincentivizes investment. Um, so again, it's so they got it that. Not... So they got that massively wrong, then. In other words, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was a catastrophic error to assume that there would be cheap wholesale gas available for the UK to import for decades. I've been in meetings where I've been told that. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. Well, Charles, listen, um, as ever, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for telling us all that. Charles McAllister, Director of Onshore Oil and Gas. Why on earth we're paying the Americans for gas that we could be doing uh, ourselves? We could be exploring it ourselves. We could be producing it ourselves. We could provide jobs for the people to produce it ourselves. And yet, we're paying money to the Americans in order to keep our city and our country green. Well, I'm sick of it, to be honest. Uh, Rob says this, My heart really went out to call a Julie there, Mike. Obviously a lovely lady with a good heart who made a huge contribution to the NHS for so many years and wants to go on doing so, health permitting. The country needs many more like her. Well, that's true, and I think there's no question, a lot of you are telling me this, that the, the, the kind of care and the attitude of people in the NHS seems to have changed over the years and is no longer as compassionate as it used to be. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Do you? Do tell us your stories. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. 
The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.